0: Welcome to Beyond By Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards and Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards and Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards and Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we have a very special guest. His name is Eric Miller, who's been a prominent financial advisor, business investor. And he has been working a lot with medical professionals, and he may be able to offer certain viewpoints and advice to our listeners and other medical professionals out there on what to do with their finances and how they could look into certain investment opportunities that they may not have thought of before. And within the studio to talk more about this matter, we have Lynn.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Hi, it's been a while. How you It has been a
1: while. I've been good.
0: Yeah, it's it's nice to have you back, finally.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be in the studio. I like being in the studio.
0: All right. So, without further ado, Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. It sounds like you guys are having a party there, so. <laughs> right? Well, we're I trying to. wish I could to, be there you know? live. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been nice. And speaking of that, I mean, where, where are we uh, talking from
2: today? I am in Clearwater, Florida, uh-huh. and it has been voted best beach in Florida for, like, I don't know, like, 20 years in a row. So I must have done something right. Nice. To pick this place. Yeah. Oh, that is nice. Yeah. We take it for granted sometimes because it's just so beautiful, you Uh, know, when we're looking at the ocean and all the sand and the hotels and I forget I live in a vacation destination. Oh my God. I got to smack smack myself every once in a while. (laughs) I'm envious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place.
0: So Eric, um, why don't you tell our listeners a little more about yourself and what you do?
2: Man, yeah, sure. Uh, I guess to make a, a this long story, you know, somewhat interesting, mm-hmm. we, at, I began my career as a, as most people um, that are lo- trying to get interested in the financial industry. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, most of the listeners, their experience with financial advisors in the past is, is generally been, Hey, you know, I have an advisor. He helps me with my investments. He looks at my portfolio once or twice a year, and he charges me a fee to do that. And that is the experience I think most people have with their financial advisor. And, you know, that was just not something that I was super interested in, just that model. And I also, uh, when we decided to start our firm, which was back in 2008, which was probably one of the worst years to start Uh, a financial firm. You guys remember back then? Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, So we but there there was a couple things that we knew we wanted to do. We wanted to work with uh healthcare owners because I'm I come from a family of healthcare owners and I saw firsthand just the cookie cutter financial advice that a lot of owners got and and knowing most of them, you know, learned how to be practitioners, you know, they learned how to do something very very well, but nobody really taught them about money. Mm-hmm. Nobody really taught them about, you know, how to manage money and and income and expenses and all of all those things. So We decided we wanted to work with, uh, healthcare owners and, uh, I learned early on and it was just kind of like one of those moments where I think we've all had them where you're just like, there's the learning curve and then you get like kicked in the, you know, what Mm -hmm. that if I was going to be any good at being a financial advisor for, for healthcare owners and really trying to get their, their personal finances in order, I had to know something about their biggest investment and that's, that's their practice. For most of them, that is the biggest investment that they have. It's where they spend most of their time. It's where they've put invested so much money and energy. So we really had to immerse ourselves in understanding the business side of, you know, dentistry or, or other, other healthcare practices so that I could show them, you know, how to integrate the cash flow of the business because there's, you know, millions of dollars that flows through a practice every single year. But making sure that it does, it 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 channels to the household so that they can, you know, create multiple income streams, get out of debt, and just build a, a, a life that they want to live. And that's what we've been doing since 2008. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah,
1: that sounds very spot on because that is their biggest investment. And yet it's often treated as like a, a side thing. You've got your stocks and bonds and mutual funds and then this other thing that you do most of your (laughs) life is is sort of just set off to the side
2: it in most cases we we really try to and and it makes total sense because look you went to school for what seven or eight years to learn how to be a, a dentist and that is your priority how to be how do I become a great practitioner but really the most successful owners that I've seen at least financially speaking they think more like owner investors and less, uh, less less, like practitioners, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it, it so, makes a lot of sense.
2: So when you, and when you really adopt that owner, like I am an owner-investor. I'm also a practitioner, but I'm also an owner of this thing. It just changes the way that you look at your practice, changes the way that you handle money. And it makes you not treat your practice like a job, but rather an investment asset for the benefit of the household. Mm. Now,
0: would you mind expanding on that? Like how they can use the business as a vehicle
2: well for sure i think uh, you know i usually go back to equating it to their household Mm -hmm. because you know in corporate america and i'm I'm sure you guys have dealt with big corporations too most of them you know have what's called a parent company Mm -hmm. and you will see that all the time i mean like i use berkshire hathaway warren buffett's company that's like Mm -hmm. the parent company and then he owns you know hundreds of different companies, but it all is for the benefit of that parent company. And, uh, when I look at a household, Mm -hmm. you know, the family unit, um, you know, that, that is what owns the assets, whether it's your real estate, whether it's your 401k, whether it's your bank account or your practice. I mean, you own those things, your household owns those. Mm -hmm. And everything that you do is, I mean, at the end of the day, isn't it for the the betterment of your household to live a better life, to have money and freedom and things that you want to do. So we have to look at each of these, these investments that you have and make sure that they are contributing somehow for the benefit of the parent company. Mm -hmm. So that's typically, and where I see practice owners fail in that is that most of them don't pay themselves near what they should for owning the practice and doing all the roles that they play. Mm-hmm. So I can dig a little deeper in that if you'd like me to, but that's that's the basic concept that we operate with. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a thing that we have seen as well, that they aren't taking enough in wages. And we are looking at it from a, a different reason, but we see it all the time that they're underpaying themselves and undervaluing yes. the service that they provide. And they think they're saving in taxes, but it's really not a significant amount for the the upside that can be had when you're taking a higher wage. So, I, I would say that is a good place to dig into. What would you speak to that?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, and look, it's it's hard to make in, uh, financial decisions like in a silo. I mean, you can make a one decision, but it's going to have an effect on you know other areas of your life. Right. So, you know, one of the things that we usually start with is you know how do you compensate yourself, and how much should you? And it gets a little controversial how much I I tell people to do, but you know, look, you have three roles when you own a dental practice. You have your practitioner role, you have your executive role, because I think most of them are are executives in some capacity, you know, managing, directing other people. They
1: should be at least.
2: Yeah. you (laughs) You hope so. Right. But then you also have the owner role. Like, And this is one that people are like, "What's my owner role?" I go, "Well, I mean, let's take a look at that. Your job is to make sure that the the culture of the organization is good, that there's a vision, that everyone knows like what the purpose of the organization. That's part of your role. Mm -hmm. You're also there to make sure that the the value of this business is um continuing to increase. That's the job of an owner. It's like to look at the the value of your of your practice." and there's a number of things you can do to do that but i mean you know especially and you guys have seen this probably change over the course of the last i don't know 10 to 15 years where the values of these healthcare practices are are kind of skyrocketing in some cases mm-hmm. um private equity money has moved in and it you know what practices usually sh- used to fetch forward maybe what you know 75 cents on uh, a dollar of revenue yeah, you know, right. they they're going for a lot more than that. Um I mean the good ones. So obviously ones right. that are, you know, profitable and and other structures are in place. So I think it, you know, not only that though, but you also have to understand you're the person that took all the risk to put this practice there. And I think people forget about that. And they forget that it is a risky asset. That there's a 101 things that can go wrong every single day. You can lose people you can lose a, an associate something can happen to your health you can get sued i mean there's all kind there's all kinds of things that can put the practice at risk so you have to make sure that you're getting paid back for that so all these different roles we kind of feel have a compensation level to them and you know, the W-2, your practitioner is usually some kind of a W-2 salary because I think most of these people are like S-Corps or LLCs, taxes, S-Corps. Uh-huh. You know, your executive pay may be a percentage of the profits, but what, what I've followed is that in corporate America, most of these companies that like the parent company owns pay like what's called a management fee up to the parent company of 10% of the practice revenue. So. Early on, I started having every practice owner incorporate that, you know, 10% of the practice revenue comes right off the top, and that goes to you as your owner compensation. And that money isn't designed for you to buy bigger houses and cars and consumption items. It's designed for you to invest that money so that you can create other income sources so you're not dependent upon the practice. For the rest of your life mm-hmm. so that's that's just kind of one of the things that will um that will try to help practice owners with so that they can um you know figure that out wow
0: this is actually interesting so mm-hmm. you're
2: saying 10 off the top
1: yeah that, off the top yeah. I told you
2: a little controversial <laughs> because i get a lot of pushback from you know uh cpas and oh my gosh you're gonna have a big tax liability i'm like. I know. I'll let you guys figure that part out, okay? My my job's a little different. But um but no, I mean it's you know this is why I say you can't make, you know, financial decisions in a silo. I mean it yeah does it increase your tax burden? Yeah, but I mean are there other things obviously that you that you all can do to help minimize their tax liability? Of course you can. But I think that's a um that's a really key concept and uh once once we get that in with a lot of owners that it just It makes them feel more relaxed, like, okay, this I'm not going to have to do this and die with my boots on.
1: Exactly. Well, that just goes back to something I was taught long ago that I don't see a lot of happening now because of various factors. But you pay yourself first. If you don't pay yourself first, then you might not get paid and you have a family to support. You have a future to think about, a retirement to think about. And the the sooner you start setting that money aside, the better off you're going to be because every year that you delay, it just requires so much more to make up what you have lost in the growth, and uh, the time period that would be sitting there. So that is really, really strong advice. Now, I know some practices are struggling these days mm-hmm. with higher salaries and they can't raise their fees because insurance is, you know, determining what fees they can charge. And so they're profit margin is being cut drastically and that that mm-hmm. is a, a separate issue that needs to be solved by mostly going off of insurance but it, it's probably a harder battle now to get them to buy into that than it was even in the past but it's a good concept for sure
2: well i think most of them and and you have to do it very carefully like i, I the last thing i'd want is for anyone that's not doing that right now I'm like oh yeah heard this guy on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to start opening up a You know, uh, uh, in a separate account, I'm going to start paying myself 10%. I I would highly suggest that you don't start at that level. (laughs) Because, you know, one thing that I've learned about business and income, business expenses, really two kind of fundamental rules. And you guys can tell me if if these resonate with you. But, you know, number one, uh, any business, it's going to try to spend every dollar that it makes and then some. And, you know, it just seems to be there's always a demand of money uh, in a practice, but it also will make what it thinks it needs to make to survive. And, you know, there's something called necessity. And, you know, when we look at practices, you know, most of them are, are operating on a certain make break number that they think that this is how much I need to bring in to kind of cover my, my basic expenses, but they're missing some of these other key, you know, you know, Profit buckets, if you want to call them, to make sure that the practice is solvent, that they have money to pay their taxes, and that that they can pay themselves that ten percent. So a lot of what we do is just going in and just refiguring, like, hey guys, you know, you're you're operating on a hundred thousand dollars of make break, but you actually need to be operating at like a hundred and twenty thousand, and and here's why, mm. and that really changes the way that they look, and they start, oh man, you're right. Mm-hmm. No wonder we're struggling all the time. No wonder I don't have money to pay yes. like that. I mean, no wonder I don't have. I'm like, yes. See, this is, you're underestimating how much your business actually needs to bring in for you to feel good about your financial situation. Right. So once you do that, they're like, you know, and okay, they have to make up an extra 20,000, but that's, they can do that. I'm, I just break down. I got 23 days in a month. How do I make up that difference? You know, I have to maybe do a couple more crowns here and there or, or you know, see a couple extra patients, you know, they, you can figure it out. It's not as unconfrontable as a lot of people think. Right, right. And it's interesting you mentioned this because,
0: you know, of course, I was looking at it from an accountant standpoint about taking 10% out from the top end. But then I was mm-hmm. also trying to look at it from the owner's perspective, the entrepreneur's perspective, basically from a management perspective. You're saying that set aside a certain amount of money and try to find other forms of revenue whether it's directly through the business or when you pay it to yourself, you invest it. It's not for consumption, but it's for investment purposes. So essentially what you're doing is you're creating additional revenue streams for Mm -hmm. your parent company, which in this case would be the household. Correct. And as as long as you know your tax, whatever you're going to incur on those additional revenue streams is less than whatever you're going to make,
2: then it makes sense. Yeah, and I think that you know, is there, does it increase the tax burden? Probably. Mm-hmm. Does it create a bigger benefit though down the road? I mean, that's kind of what you have to weigh. Right. Uh, and, and see if, it, if it's going to, you know, allow them, you know, one thing I know about money is that if, if you leave it set right. in one place mm-hmm. too long, it's going to get spent, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the only way that I've ever seen people accumulate reserves in retirement is that you have to like physically remove money out of one place and move it to another. That's why there's $6 trillion in 401k plans right now, Mm -hmm. because people never took receipt of that money. It it got ripped out of their paychecks, right? Right. So that's, we're we're trying to just accelerate the process for them to be able to, you know, retire and not just depend upon their quote unquote 401k Mm -hmm. plans Mm -hmm. for their the majority of their retirement income. So what would be these other additional revenue streams our listeners could look into? Yeah. So, and I'm not advocating one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's generally th- three to four that we'll we'll look at, and these are categories. And okay. and all we're trying to do is, is make sure that you're allocating money into places that, number one, can can pay you back at some point in time. Mm. That will that will create cash flow. Maybe there's some tax benefits for doing for in, investing in these types of investments. Um and there is some level of protection from the money. So there's three buckets that that we'll typically look at. One would be just like traditional stocks and bonds. So maybe like a dividend or municipal bond portfolio of some kind. So I have the money 10% taken out. I have that set up in a, in a separate account. We call it a wealth storage account, which is kind of a fancy name right. yeah. and the money will sit there and then we get it in motion. Okay. We put a percentage in, you know, maybe a, a stock or our bond portfolio. Uh, another, uh, bucket may go into a real estate bucket and, you know, we can go into all kinds of different, you know, areas of that, but, Real estate that you either okay. buy by yourself or maybe you buy with a partner or maybe you uh, a syndication or a private placement, but it's primarily going to be in some kind of a real estate bucket. Okay, And then uh, we'll look at insurance based products. This could be like cash value life insurance annuities if they're if they're appropriate for that person um, because I get protection and, and guaranteed income from there. Mm. I- I'm just not one of these advisors that that OK, it's just stocks and that's it. Or, hey, it's just real estate and that's it. Or it's a, I, I really, as a fiduciary, I kind of think I have to look at all these. Mm-hmm. And do they have merit? Can they provide cash flow? Are they predictable? And uh will they get their money back? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm looking at when we're trying to uh, look at a portfolio for them.
0: I see. Okay, that's interesting.
2: Yeah, there's this a wise person I know by
0: the name of Michael Cordell. And he always says that, you know, to make money you have to make sure that the money's constantly in motion. Yes. If it's not in motion, then it's not going to make any more money. And the other thing he would always say is that, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, we're constantly trying to look for deductions so we can reduce our taxes. But a good financial savvy person, someone who knows or wants to know more about his own money, will look at it from a top end. Mm-hmm. that you speak of right now so it's it's interesting that you're bringing up these points and even though you know these vessels that you're talking about whether it's real estate stocks bonds, securities or even you know at the insurance route they may be things that our listeners are aware of mm-hmm. but it's the utilization of it right like and no two people will be the same depending on where they come from how much time they can put into this someone like you or someone in this profession would be able to custom tailor a plan for, them, and that
2: will allow them to always keep that money in motion. For sure. I mean, some people really like real estate and I'll say, okay, great. If maybe we allocate a little bit more of that 10% into the real estate bucket, than mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. you typically would. It's all about what you feel comfortable with, what you know, what you love. And, uh, you know, and some people are just super conservative. They don't want to lose any money at all. mm mm-hmm. And so that's why we, I, I just can't be pigeonholed into one classification of investments. And then there may be even like private deals that they can get into or, you know, other investments that align with their industry in some way. I, I don't know. It's, it could be a number of things. So I think the point is, is that I just don't want them to be reliant on their 401ks and the sale of their practice for the entirety of their retirement and is to create these other income sources while they own it. And then when they do sell the practice, whenever that time comes, um, it's cherry end, so to speak.
1: Right. Well, and they're not going to be able to maintain, because generally dentists maintain a, a, I would say, above higher than average standard of living, and they're not going to be able to maintain that with just their 401k and their practice sale. It's going to take careful choices along the way of making the most of, of what they have and and putting that in different vehicles that will provide them additional investment opportunity.
2: You're 100% correct. I think uh, they a lot of people underestimate how much their earn rate is
1: mm-hmm. and
2: how much they're going to need uh, to live the ideal life. And that, I, we usually start there as like, say, how much do you need an in income to live your ideal life? Which kind of throws a lot of people off. They're like, well, you know, I only need, you know, blank amount. Like that's not the question I ask. How (laughs) much would you need to live your ideal life? Right. And it's just once you do that, you can work backwards to figure out, okay, this is how much we're going to need in in total assets. And this is how much I'm going to need from the sale of the practice. This is how much I'm going to need from your real estate. This is how much I'm going to need from your social security and your retirement plans. We add all these things up and. Let's hit your number.
1: Right, it's very calculable if you yeah. have the tools to do that. So there's no reason they need to be guessing at these things. No, um, not at all. But it is often underestimated. Just oh, you know, X amount will probably be fine. Well, will it? How do yeah. you know it will?
2: <laughs> that, that's right. I think the number now is like you know two or three million dollars. Right. It seems like oh, if I just have two or three uh-huh. million dollars, and I'm like, mm,
1: yeah, and. I it, don't- it very so, yeah very much depends on on how you're going to live your life. So yeah, you can right. you can make that work, but you may not be making it work the way that it's working now, or the way you're hoping it will work.
2: This may not be as much fun <laughs> right. as having like five or seven million in assets. <laughs> then you have more fun.
1: Right. It's better to know the number. That's a much safer route to take.
2: Yes, I think to your point um, of like how we, how we help people figure out like what their make break number is. We do the same thing on their, on their household side with how much they're going to need in total assets. Mm. So I find most of our job, our job as financial advisors, which a lot of people just think is like managing investment portfolios, but there's a lot of planning that goes along in this and just making people aware of the reality of, of what they need. Yeah. And, uh, that, that seems to be something that we get a lot of feedback. Like I just didn't know, like, Wow, it really opened my eyes to this.
1: Yeah, and there's so many moving parts. I mean, like you you said, there's all those vehicles, your 401k, your social security, your Mm -hmm. real estate, all of these things. And if you change this one, it affects this one. And here's how that's going to play out if you sell this property here and invest that money in different things. So just so many scenarios that can be walked through endless if you're not careful. So uh, there's a lot to it on the planning side.
2: Very much so which i always go back to it's really important to work with financial professionals that have a lot of familiarity with your business and i think that's really important yes to well, work with people that understand how your business works
1: we would we would concur with that certainly uh, obviously we work with dennis and we are uh, we love helping them with their business but we see it on our side too i mean we work with people that Work with CPA firms that that understand our industry, and that's just that's just the smart way to go. So we see the value in and have those strategic alliances.
2: Yeah, it it I think it it helps so much that people don't realize because you get to see so many different dental practices patterns start to develop. You know, you see okay, these are what the top echelon are doing. Mm-hmm. You can impart that knowledge and to uh, people that you know maybe aren't there yet. And it just, I think people under, underestimate just how valuable that is. Yeah, absolutely. So, listeners, if you guys are interested in being,
0: or finding ways on how the 1% of the 1% are making their money and keeping their money, feel free to reach out to our wonderful guest, Eric Miller. And to reach out to you, they would need to...
2: Well, they can just go to wealth for com, wealth for com. perfect awesome easy to remember i like that Uh, yes (laughs) awesome
1: it was great to talk to you and get to know you
2: yeah you as well thank you guys for having me on all right it was a pleasure thanks eric
0: thanks for listening today be sure to subscribe to beyond by wings on your favorite podcast platform for more information you can follow us on facebook twitter and LinkedIn. Or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.